Section 16 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 6, by Anonymous, translated by Richard Francis Burton. Section 16. When it was the five hundred and seventy-eighth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the caliph marvelled much at the cucurbites and their contents. Then he sent for the spoils, and divided them among the faithful, saying, Never gave Allah unto any the like of that which he bestowed upon Solomon David's son. Thereupon the emir Musa sought leave of him, to appoint his son governor of the province in his stead, that he might betake himself to the holy city of Jerusalem, there to worship Allah. So the commander of the faithful invested his son Harun with the government, and Musa repaired to the glorious and holy city, where he died. This, then, is all that hath come down to us of the story of the city of Brass, and God is all-knowing. Now, continued Shahrazad, I have another tale to tell Anant, the craft and malice of women, or the tale of the king, his son, his concubine, and the seven wazirs. There was, in days of yore, and in ages and times long gone before, a puissant king among the kings of China, the crown of crowned heads, who ruled over many men of war and vassals, with wisdom and justice, might and majesty, equitable to his riots, liberal to his lieges, and dearly beloved by the hearts of his subjects. He was wealthy as he was powerful, but he had grown old without being blessed with a son, and this caused him sore affliction. He could only brood over the cutting off of his seed, and the oblivion that would bury his name, and the passing of his realm into the stranger's hands. So he secluded himself in his palace, never going in and out, or rising and taking rest, till the lieges lost all tidings of him, and were sore perplexed, and began to talk about their king. Some said, He's dead. Others said, No, he's not. But all resolved to find a ruler who would reign over them, and carry out the customs of government. At last, utterly despairing of male issue, he sought the intercession of the Prophet, whom Allah bless and keep, with the Most High, and implored him, by the glory of his prophets and saints and martyrs and others of the faithful who were acceptable to heaven, that he would grant him a son, to be the kulth of his eyes and heir to the kingdom after him. Then he rose forthright, and, withdrawing to his sitting saloon, sent for his wife, who was the daughter of his uncle. Now this queen was of surpassing beauty and loveliness, the fairest of all his wives, and the dearest to him as she was the nearest, and to boot a woman of excellent wit and passing judgment. She found the king dejected and sorrowful, tearful-eyed and heavy-hearted. So she kissed ground between his hands and said, O king! May my life ransom thy life, may time never prove thy foe, 
nor the shifts of fortune prevail over thee. May Allah grant thee every joy, and ward off from thee all annoy. How is it I see thee brooding over thy case, and tormented by the displeasures of memory? He replied, Thou wottest well that I am a man now shotten in years, who hath never been blessed with a son, a sight to cool his eyes. So I know that my kingdom shall pass away to the stranger in blood, and my name and memory will be blotted out amongst men. Tis this causeth me to grieve with excessive grief. Allah do away with thy sorrows, quoth she. Long ere this day a thought struck me, and yearning for issue arose in my heart, even as in thine. One night I dreamed a dream, and a voice said to me, The king thy husband pineth for progeny. If a daughter be vouchsafed to him, she will be the ruin of his realm. If a son, the youth will undergo much trouble and annoy, but he will pass through it without loss of life. Such a son can be conceived by thee and thee only, and the time of thy conception is when the moon conjoineth with Gemini. I woke from my dream, but after what I heard that voice declare, I refrained from breeding, and would not consent to bear children. There is no help for it but that I have a son, inshallah, God willing, cried the king. Thereupon she soothed and consoled him, till he forgot his sorrows, and went forth amongst the lieges, and sat as of wont upon his throne of estate. All rejoiced to see him once more, and especially the lords of his realm. Now, when the conjunction of the moon and Gemini took place, the king knew his wife carnally, and by order of Allah Almighty she became pregnant. Presently she announced the glad tidings to her husband, and led her usual life until her nine months of pregnancy were completed, and she bare a male child, whose face was as the rondure of the moon on its fourteenth night. The lieges of the realm congratulated one another thereanent, and the king commanded an assembly of his olima and philosophers, astrologers, and horoscopists, whom he thus addressed. I desire you to forecast the fortune of my son, and to determine his ascendant, and whatever is shown by his nativity. They replied, Tis well in Allah's name, let us do so and cast his nativity with all diligence. After ascertaining his ascendant, they pronounced judgment in these words. We see his lot favorable, and his life viable and durable, save that a danger awaiteth his youth. The father was sorely concerned at this, saying, when they added, But, O king, he shall escape from it, nor shall aught of injury accrue to him. Hereupon the king cast aside all cark and care, and robed the wizards, and dismissed them with splendid honoraria. And he resigned himself to the will of heaven, and acknowledged that the decrees of destiny may not be countervailed. He committed his boy to wet nurses and dry nurses, handmaids and eunuchs, leaving him to grow and fill out in the harim till he reached the age of seven. Then he addressed letters to his viceroys and governors in every clime, and by their means gathered together Olima, 
and philosophers and doctors of law and religion from all countries to a number of three hundred and threescore he held an especial assembly for them and when all were in presence he bade them draw near him and be at their ease while he sent for the food trays and all ate their sufficiency and when the banquet ended and the wizards had taken seats in their several degrees the king asked them what ye wherefore i have gathered you together whereto all answered we wot not o king he continued it is my wish that you select from amongst you fifty men and from these fifty ten and from these ten one that he may teach my son omnem rem scibilem for whenas i see the youth perfect in all science i will share my dignity with the prince and make him partner with me in my possessions know o king they replied that among us none is more learned or more excellent than al sindibad hight the sage who warneth in thy capital under thy protection if such be thy design summon him and bid him do thy will the king acted upon their advice and the sage standing in the presence expressed his loyal sentiments with his salutation whereupon his sovereign bade him draw nigh and thus raised his rank saying i would have thee to know o sage that i summoned this assembly of the learned and bade them choose me out a man to teach my son all knowledge when they selected thee without dissenting thought or voice if then thou feel capable of what they claimed for thee come thou to the task and understand that a man's son and heir is the very fruit of his vitals and core of his heart and liver my desire of thee is thine instruction of him and to happy issue allah guideth the king then sent for his son and committed him to al-sindibad conditioning the sage to finish his education in three years he did accordingly but at the end of that time the young prince had learned nothing his mind being wholly occupied with play and disport and when summoned and examined by his sire behold his knowledge was as nil thereupon the king turned his attention to the learned once more and bade them elect a tutor for his youth so they asked and what hath his governor al sindibad been doing and when the king answered he hath taught my son naught the ulema and philosophers and high officers summoned the instructor and said to him o sage what prevented thee from teaching the king's son during this length of days o wise man he replied the prince's mind is wholly occupied with disport and play yet an the king will make with me three conditions and keep to them i will teach him in seven months what he would not learn nor indeed could any other lessen him within seven years i hearken to thee quoth the king and i submit myself to thy conditions and quoth al sindibad hear from me sire and bear in mind these three sayings whereof the first is do not to others what thou wouldst not they do unto you and second do not hastily without consulting the experienced and thirdly where thou hast power 
show pity. In teaching this lad I require no more of thee but to accept these three dictae and adhere thereto. Cried the king, Bear ye witness against me, O all ye here assembled, that I stand firm by these conditions, and caused a procès verbal to be drawn up with his personal security and testimony of his courtiers. Thereupon the sage, taking the prince's hand, led him to his place, and the king sent them all requisites of Provence, and kitchen batteries, carpets, and other furniture. Moreover, the tutor bade build a house whose walls he lined with the whitest stucco painted over with ceruse, and lastly he delineated thereon all the objects concerning which he proposed to lecture his pupil. When the place was duly furnished, he took the lad's hand and installed him in the apartment which was amply furnished with belly timber and after establishing him therein went forth and fastened the door with seven padlocks nor did he visit the prince save every third day when he lessened him on the knowledge to be extracted from the wall pictures and renewed his provision of meat and drink after which he left him again to solitude so whenever the youth was straitened in breast by the tedium and ennui of loneliness he applied himself diligently to his object lessons and mastered all the deductions therefrom his governor seeing this turned his mind into other channel and taught him the inner meanings of the external objects and in a little time the pupil mastered every requisite then the sage took him from the house and taught him cavalerice and jerid play and archery when the pupil had thoroughly mastered these arts the tutor sent to the king informing him that the prince was perfect and complete in all things required to figure favourably amongst his peers hereat the king rejoiced and summoning his wazirs and lords of estate to be present at the examination commanded the sage to send his son into the presence thereupon alcindibad consulted his pupil's horoscope and found it barred by an inauspicious conjunction which would last seven days so in sore affright for the youth's life he said look into thy nativity scheme the prince did so and recognizing the portent feared for himself and presently asked the sage saying what dost thou bid me do i bid thee he answered remain silent and speak not a word during this night even though thy sire slay thee with scourging and thou pass safely through this period thou shalt win to high rank and succeed to thy sire's reign but an things go otherwise then the behest is with allah from the beginning to the end thereof quoth the pupil thou art in fault o preceptor and thou hast shown undue haste in sending that message to the king before looking into my horoscope hadst thou delayed till the week had passed all had been well quoth the tutor o my son what was to be was and the sole defaulter therein was my delight in thy scholarship but now be firm in thy resolve rely upon allah almighty and determine not to utter a single word thereupon the prince fared for the presence 
and was met by the wazirs who led him to his father the king accosted him and addressed him but he answered not and sought speech of him but he spake not whereupon the courtiers were astounded and the monarch sore concerned for his son summoned al sindibad but the tutor so hid himself that none could hit upon his trace nor gain tidings of him and folk said he was ashamed to appear before the king's majesty and the courtiers under these conditions the sovereign heard some of those present saying send the lad to the seraglio where he will talk with the women and soon set aside this bashfulness and approving their counsel gave orders accordingly so the prince was led into the palace which was compassed about by a running stream whose banks were planted with all manner of fruit trees and sweet-smelling flowers moreover in this palace were forty chambers and in every chamber ten slave-girls each skilled in some instrument of music so that whenever one of them played the palace danced to her melodious strains here the prince passed one night but on the following morning the king's favorite concubine happened to cast eyes upon his beauty and loveliness his symmetrical stature his brilliancy and his perfect grace and love got hold of her heart and she was ravished with his charms so she went up to him and threw herself upon him but he made her no response whereupon being dazed by his beauty she cried out to him and required him of himself and importuned him then she again threw herself upon him and clasped him to her bosom kissing him and saying o king's son grant me thy favours and i will set thee in thy father's stead i will give him to drink of poison so he may die and thou shalt enjoy his realm and wealth when the prince heard these words he was sore enraged against her and said to her by signs o accursed one so it please almighty allah i will assuredly requite thee this thy deed whenas i can speak for i will go forth to my father and will tell him and he shall kill thee so signing he arose in rage and went out from her chamber whereat she feared for herself thereupon she buffeted her face and rent her raiment and tear her hair and bared her head then went into the king and cast herself at his feet weeping and wailing when he saw her in this plight he was sore concerned and asked her what aileth thee o damsel how is it with thy lord my son is he not well and she answered o king this thy son whom thy courtiers avouch to be dumb required me of myself and i repelled him whereupon he did with me as thou seest and would have slain me so i fled from him nor will i ever return to him nor to the palace again no never again when the king heard this he was wroth with exceeding wrath and calling his seven wazirs bade them put the prince to death however they said one to other if we do the king's commandment he will surely repent of having ordered his son's death for he is passing dear to him and this child came not to him save after despair and he will round upon us and blame us saying why did ye not contrive to dissuade me from slaying him so they took counsel together to turn him from his purpose and the chief wazir said 
I will warrant you from the king's mischief this day. Then he went into the presence, and prostrating himself, craved leave to speak. The king gave him permission, and he said, O king, though thou hadst a thousand sons, yet were it no light matter to thee to put one of them to death on the report of a woman, be she true or be she false. And belike this is a lie, and a trick of her against thy son. For indeed, O king, I have heard tell great plenty of stories of the malice, the craft, and perfidy of women. Quoth the king, Tell me somewhat of that which hath come to thy knowledge thereof. And the wazir answered, saying, Yes, there hath reached me, O king, a tale entitled, The King and His Wazir's Wife. There was once a king of the kings, a potent man and a proud, who was devoted to the love of women, and one day, being in the privacy of his palace, he espied a beautiful woman on the terrace roof of her house, and could not contain himself from falling consummately in love with her. He asked his folk to whom the house and the damsel belonged, and they said, This is the dwelling of the wazir such an one, and she is his wife. So he called the minister in question, and dispatched him on an errand to a distant part of the kingdom, where he was to collect information and to return. But, as soon as he obeyed and was gone, the king contrived by a trick to gain access to his house and his spouse. When the wazir's wife saw him, she knew him, and springing up, kissed his hands and feet, and welcomed him. Then she stood afar off, busying herself in his service, and said to him, O our Lord, what is the cause of thy gracious coming? Such an honour is not for the like of me. Quoth he, The cause of it is that love of thee, and desire thee words have moved me to this. Whereupon she kissed ground before him a second time, and said, By Allah, O our Lord, indeed I am not worthy to be the handmaid of one of the king's servants. Whence then have I the great good fortune to be in such high honour and favour with thee? Then the king put out his hand to her, intending to enjoy her person, when she said, This thing shall not escape us, but take patience, O my king, and abide with thy handmaid all this day, that she may make ready for thee somewhat to eat and drink. So the king sat down on his minister's couch, and she went in haste and brought him a book, wherein he might read, whilst she made ready the food. He took the book, and beginning to read, found therein moral instances and exhortations, such as restrained him from adultery, and broke his courage to commit sin and crime. After a while she returned and set before him some ninety dishes of different kinds of colours, and he ate a mouthful of each, and found that, while the number was many, the taste of them was one. At this he marvelled with exceeding marvel, and said to her, O damsel, I see these meats to be manifold and various, but the taste of them is simple and the same. Allah prosper the king, replied she. This is a parable I have set for thee, that thou mayst be admonished thereby. He asked, And what is its meaning? And she answered, Allah amend the case of our lord the king. In thy palace are ninety concubines of various colours, but their taste is one. 
When the king heard this, he was ashamed, and rising hastily went out, without offering her any affront, and returned to his palace. But in his haste and confusion he forgot his signet ring, and left it under the cushion where he had been sitting, and albeit he remembered it, he was ashamed to send for it. Now hardly had he reached home when the wazir returned, and, presenting himself before the king, kissed the ground and made his report to him of the state of the province in question. Then he repaired to his own house, and sat down on his couch, and, chancing to put his hand under the cushion, behold, he found the king's seal-ring. So he knew it, and, taking the matter to heart, held aloof in great grief from his wife for a whole year, not going in unto her, nor even speaking to her, whilst she knew not the reason of his anger. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 16 Recording by Eva Easton Slotesburg, New York, January 2012